The story's been told about this small little family that grew up in the backwoods of Appalachia. Uh, there was Pa, and there was Mama, and there was Junior, of course. Uh, now, they never went to town very often, but when Junior got to the ripe old age of 16, Pa decided it's time for us to take Junior into the big city and see the sights. So they decided they were going to go stay in a hotel. But when they all showed up there, they realized there was so much that had changed. When they pulled up, Pa and Junior went into the hotel, and there were so many things that even Pa had never seen before. There was a pop machine. He saw someone take some change and stick it in the pop machine, and a pop fell out. Could not believe it. He said, Junior, go get my change. And then he sees a shoe shine machine. Had never seen that before. He watched a man walk up to that, put some money into it, and he stuck his boots in there, and they polished and buffed his boots. He said, Junior, go get my boots. And then he sees an elevator. Never seen an elevator before. Walks up to the doors. He sees these doors open up, and he's standing there wondering whether she'd go in or not. This little withered old woman walks beside him and walks into the elevator, and he sees the doors close, and then he sits there, and he's watching the numbers go all the way up, and then he sees the numbers go all the way down, and then suddenly those doors opened up one more time, and out walks this beautiful young woman, and he said, Junior, go get mama. (laughs) I'm a dad. I can tell dad jokes. Wouldn't it be great if life change happened like that? We could just change in an instance, just walk in some doors, go in, come back out, and our lives are completely different. How is it that we change? The question that we're going to ask today is, how does the gospel, the gospel message, the good news of the gospel, how does that change our life? In this whole series, we're talking about the gospel for everyone, the good news for everyone. Today, we want to unpack that question. How does that message bring change to my life from the inside out? We need to understand that Christianity is so different from every other religion out there because it's not actually a religion. What religions teach in different forms and in different ways is that there are things that you need to do in order to find God. There's things that you need to do in order to make yourself pleasing to God. Christianity is 180 degrees in the other direction. Christianity, at its very core, at its very basic message, says it's not about us trying to figure out how to find God The message of the good news of the gospel is that God came to us. God came to find us. And he himself made us pleasing to him. He came. Jesus came. The second person of the Trinity came. He gave his life as a ransom for us. The death penalty that we deserve for sin. He paid it for us. The death we deserved was on him, and the righteous life that he lived was imparted to us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin 
for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not because of anything that we've done. The only reason that we can ever be pleasing to God is what Jesus has done for us and that alone. There's nothing that we can do that can make God love us more, accept us more. And there's nothing that we can do that would make God love us less or accept us less. That is the message of the good news of the gospel. And we're going to be looking at a chunk of scripture from Galatians chapter 5 today. Just to give you a little bit of context, the book of Galatians is Paul trying to help the churches in and around the area of Galatia understand this important message. The book of Galatians is the message of the gospel, but it also talks about how we change. Because if we don't understand the depths of the simple message of the gospel, we will never change from the inside out. But there's a question that the churches in Galatia were asking themselves. If this is true, if there's nothing that I can do to make myself pleasing to God, it's only what God has done for me, there's nothing that I can do to make myself less acceptable to him, then why would I choose to live a holy life? Why would I even care if I live a righteous life? Why change? Why obey? That's the message that Paul wants to get at in Galatians chapter five. And that's why this passage is so critical to understand the gospel. Because what Paul's gonna teach us is that there is a gospel freedom. We are set free from fear and condemnation, but that doesn't lead us to say, why should I obey? It actually leads us to obey and not want to simply please ourselves. Let's dive into the text. Let's let the text speak for itself. Galatians chapter five, starting in verse one. Here's Paul talking about freedom. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul's saying there's freedom in the gospel. And when he talks about this yoke of slavery, he's talking about this idea that some people would have, that it's our obedience to the law that makes us right before God. And he says that is a yoke that is too heavy for you to carry. You can't do that. You are free from that. You have freedom in Christ. But here's what we think about in our culture when we talk about freedom. We think that freedom simply means I can do anything that I want without restriction. I mean, you think about our culture right now. Everybody is saying, I am free to do this. I am free to do this. Nobody can tell me what to do. That's what we think freedom is. That is not what Paul is talking about here in Galatians chapter five. What he is saying is that we are free not to do anything that we want, but we are free to be and to do what God made us to be and to do. God made us a certain way. I want you to think about it like this. Think about a fish. Now, some of you think about fish all the time already. In fact, now I've just completely lost you because you're thinking about going fishing. Think about a fish. It lives in water. That is the environment where fish thrive. Now, if a fish says, I want to be free, I want to be outside, I don't want this restriction of water. I want to live on the beach. 
What's gonna happen to the fish? Death, slavery, it's gonna die. There is an environment that God has designed us to live in and that environment is a relationship with him. And the commands of God are the water that we live in that give context to how we relate to him. The commands don't create the relationship with him, but it creates the context for how we live and thrive in that relationship with him. And Paul says, we've got to stand firm against this yoke of slavery. What is it that Paul is asking us to stand firm against? Now, you need to understand that the churches in and around Galatia, they were under attack from a group of people called the Judaizers. And here's what the Judaizers were trying to say. They were trying to say that if you want to have salvation, if you want to be pleasing to God, it's about faith in Jesus, but it's also about circumcision. I'm an engineer, so I think about things oftentimes in terms of equations. This is what Paul is talking about here. You've got to be careful. He's saying you've got to withhold the attack of anyone that would say faith in Jesus plus anything equals salvation, even circumcision. Circumcision was a big deal to the followers of Abraham, the Jewish people. It was the sign of that covenant relationship with God. And so many of them were saying, if you as a Gentile want to step into a relationship with God, you must be circumcised. Paul's saying, no. You can't add anything to the gospel. You can't add anything to faith in Christ, what he has done for us on the cross, us putting our faith and our trust, our weight and our life on that as our source of salvation. That is the only gospel. If you add anything to that, it is no longer the gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Here's how the apostle Paul says it as he continues. He says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified, justified meaning brought into a right relationship with God, made righteous, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith. We eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. And here's the punchline for Paul. He says, the only thing that counts is faith. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the gospel message. Nothing else counts but faith in Christ and what he has done for you. And then the outflow of that being love, expressing itself through love. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And what that brings out of our life is a life of love, love for God and love for people. 
But here's the thing that we have to understand. Love limits our freedom. Love will limit our freedom. When I was in college, I was an engineering student, and there was this little blonde engineering student named Carmen. Man, she was so cute. Just the other day, uh, last Sunday, I was, had an appointment, someone that I was meeting out front, and I hadn't met him before, and, but I happened to be standing with her, and so as we met, I introduced her to him as well, and as we started walking down the hallway to my office to have our meeting, he said, dude, you really married up. And I was like, I know. I absolutely, I pulled off the greatest upset in dating history. But when I stepped into that relationship with Carmen, when we started dating, you know what she didn't do? She didn't hand me a list of commands, a list of demands, a list of sacrifices that I needed to make in order to be in a relationship with her. But you know what I did? I started doing lots of things. I started making lots of sacrifices because love will limit our freedom. It wasn't about me being independent anymore. I wanted to be in this relationship with her. That means it was really different in terms of how I spent my time. I wanted to spend all kinds of time with her. So much time that I actually had to drop a class because I got so far behind. I wanted time with her. It changed the way that I spent my money. I wanted to invest in my relationship with her. I wanted to serve her. Not because I needed to do those things in order for her to love me. It was an expression of my heart. I was willing to limit my freedom in order to express my love to her. Do you see the picture? That's the picture of the gospel. Our gospel, our love limits our freedom. We are willing, when we are willing to say yes to God, we're willing to say no to things in this life. And that's what brings about change in our life. But it's not about keeping the commands. It's about keeping faith in Christ. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's Paul's first warning. He says, don't lose your freedom. You've got to understand that that freedom to serve, that freedom to love comes from what Christ has done for us. He says, don't lose your freedom. But then he turns the corner and he gives us another warning that if we don't understand this, we will also miss the gospel. He said, don't lose your freedom, but don't abuse your freedom. Because it's true. The gospel will set us free from guilt and condemnation. But the gospel also starts to eat away at our motivation and desire to sin, to live apart from God. We want to live in the waters of his commands. The gospel never lowers the bar of holiness or righteousness. The gospel actually raises the bar. And here's how the Apostle Paul explains it. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but, a big but, a big contrast, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. 
Now I wanna pause just for a second and describe what Paul is talking about here when he says flesh. Like sometimes we can think that he's just talking about our physical flesh. But this term flesh that Paul uses here, it's a loaded theological term. And what he's trying to explain is that there is a natural bentness in us to live life apart from God. Because of the fall, we naturally are born into this fallen, broken state where we want to live independently of God. That is our flesh. So he says, do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, here's what we need to understand about Paul and his relationship to the law. He never says that the moral law of God is bad. He's just trying to say it is not useful for us in terms of gaining righteousness before God. Only Christ can do that. That's why when Paul says, unless we think about the gospel, we think about the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us, the commands will just be something that are superficially, that we try to live out, but it only brings superficial change on the outside. It's an understanding of the gospel of Jesus that makes us change from the inside out. I wanna show you an example related to something I preached about a handful of weeks ago. When we were in the middle of the Everyone Initiative, I preached from the text of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. This was Paul making a full-on, full-court press, asking the churches in Corinth, in and around Corinth, to be generous with their resources. But I want you to hear what Paul said about generosity in terms of the motivation behind it. 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 8, he says, I am not commanding you. He says, I'm not commanding you as it relates to generosity. Could Paul have commanded them? Absolutely. He could have pulled up all of the Old Testament texts, all the things from the Torah that talked about gifts, offerings, tithes. He could have used the law to tell them you need to be generous. But Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And then Paul steps in and he says, here's the motivation. Here's the motivation to do anything in terms of obedience. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So clear. Paul says, if you want to obey, it's not about focusing on the commands. It's about focusing on the gospel. Remember what it is that Jesus has done for you. Let that move your heart. Let that shape your heart. Let that move your heart in a way that says, I want to obey the commands. I want to be pleasing to God because of what he has done for him. We've got to change our heart affections. But Paul goes on in this text and he tells us there's actually power. There's actually power that God gives you in your life 
in order to see this kind of change happen. And it happens inside of it, and inside of us, and it's his Holy Spirit. God sends his spirit to live inside the life of a believer. Here's what Paul says, starting in verse 16. He says, so I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Paul gives us this picture. There's two things that are happening. There's a walk and there's a battle. I love that picture of a walk as it describes how we relate to the spirit in our life. It's one step at a time, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. As we read the word, the Holy Spirit takes the words of scripture and illumines it to our mind. The Holy Spirit, as we pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, helps us connect our hearts with God. The Holy Spirit gives us nudges and promptings to do things that would please God. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to our life. When we, in that walk, step off of the path, the Holy Spirit tells us to get back on the path. The Spirit is the power for change. And what Paul is saying is that at every step, Whatever you hear from the Holy Spirit, say yes. Say no to your flesh and say yes to the Holy Spirit. But Paul makes it really clear that this walk is also a battle. There's conflict that's happening between the Spirit and your flesh. And you know what else? It even, it gets even worse than that. Because you've got an enemy, a real enemy enemy, Satan himself, and all of his minions that want to influence us through our flesh. And you know what? The evil one, he's got a voice too. He's got promptings and whispers as well. And what we need to do is we need to discern the difference between the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of the evil one. I want to expose what I believe to be the fundamental thing that distinguishes the two. The enemy. Here's what he'll do. He will get you to focus on yourself. He will get you maybe to focus on your failure. And in the midst of thinking about your failure, you feel this sense of condemnation in your life that causes you to feel distant from God. You feel unworthy. You feel unloved, maybe even unseen by your good father. He wants you to see your failures. You know what else he wants you to see? Sometimes he wants you to see your successes. Because sometimes in the midst of looking at our successes in life, we start to think, I got it going on. I got this. I don't need God. He wants us to see our failures, and he wants us to see our successes. But more than anything, he wants us to just look at ourselves and not look and peer into the beauty and the majesty of the gospel, because that's what's going to change our life. And here's what you need to say. Here's what you need to hear today. And I want to try to help you understand this. With these two voices, there's one place where it can get a little bit confusing, and it's this. The Holy Spirit and the evil one, they both want to point at your sin, but for very, very different reasons. 
Like I said before, the evil one, he wants you to look first at your sin because then he can tear you down and have you question who you are. Am I really, do I really belong to God? He starts with your sin and he tears down who you are. But the Holy Spirit is 180 degrees in the other direction. The Holy Spirit will always start with who you are because of what Christ has done for you, a son, a daughter. He will start with who you are and he'll deal with what you've done. He's saying, this is who you are. Now don't live like this because it's incongruent with who you are as a son or a daughter of God. Satan wants to beat you down with our failures. The Holy Spirit wants to call us up into our identity. We've got to remember who we are, and that is the message of the gospel, and that's why we've got to keep our eyes not on the commands, but primarily on the gospel. In his book, Surprised by Grace, Tullian Tavidian tells this parabolic story that took place in and around the Civil War. There was an abolitionist that wanted more than anything to free people from slavery. So he would take his own resources and he would go to the slave trade and he would buy slaves for only the purpose of freeing them. One day, he bought this young slave girl. And as they walked away from the auction, he was trying to explain to her what he had done for her. He was trying to tell her, I bought you, but you're free. It was so confusing to her. She couldn't even understand the thought of freedom. So she started to ask him some questions. She said, so are you saying to me that I can do whatever I want? And he said, yes, you can do whatever you want. She said, are you trying to tell me that I can say anything that I want to say? And he said, yes, anything. So you're telling me from this day forward, I can be anybody that I want to be. He said, yep, that's what I'm telling you. And she asked him one last time. She said, so you're saying from this day forward, I can go anywhere that I want to go. And he said, yes, you are free to go. She looked back with looked back at him with all sincerity she said then I will go with you you see she got it she understood the magnitude of what he had done for her he had bought her freedom and that love so moved her heart she said why wouldn't I follow you wherever you would go friends that's what it means to understand the gospel. Jesus bought your life. Jesus bought your life with his blood. He bought your freedom. And he says, you can go anywhere. You can do anything. You can be anyone that you want to be. And that's why our only response that makes sense is that we would say, Jesus, then we will go with you. Jesus, we will go with you. I love that we get to celebrate baptisms today. 
Because friends, we just get to see this lived out in the stories of people today. People that have come to that place where they understood what it was that Jesus had done for them. And they've said with everything in them, Jesus, I will go with you. I will go anywhere. I will do anything. I will be whatever it is that you want me to be. And we get to celebrate that together. Now, as we do that, I I kind of imagine in a room this size and many people watching online that there are some of you that you've never made a decision like that. You've never stepped into that kind of a relationship with God where you just said, Jesus, I will go with you. Here's my encouragement to you. Don't wait. Don't wait another moment. The beauty of the gospel is that beautiful. Don't wait another moment to surrender your life to him. Give your life to him and say, Jesus, I will go with you. You can say it to him however you want. He knows your heart, but don't wait to give your life to him. There's some of you that in this room and watching online that you have made that decision. As we listen to these stories, this is my encouragement to you. Would you just allow your life to be reminded of what it is that Jesus has done for you? Would you let it melt your heart again? Be reminded as you hear these stories of your story and what it is that Jesus has done for you. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.